Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording on Thursday, May 20th, 2021. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky, and I am so thrilled with the number of responses we got to the survey, the Have You Read This survey of 13 books, and Rebecca has not seen the results. I'm not going to quiz her. I will say we were both wrong in interesting ways that we will talk oh, about at length. okay. Um, okay, I've great. got some pregame to do there. The other thing you can do, I love this poll. I should do this, should have done it for the, the movie drafts, and maybe we'll incorporate some more polling, because mm. right now people mm-hmm. have to email us, remember to do us, where if you have the link, you can go in. I think that made it super easy, but 590 responses to oh, wow. the which of these books have you read so far. Um, I am now, as of this moment, closing the responses, so we're locked in here. We are still accepting responses for the summer movie, I keep saying summer movie, summer book <laughs> basket Preview draft. Uh, you can mm-hmm. see my picks, Rebecca's picks. Um, we've got some voting in. I'll say nothing about them, so that doesn't uh, <laughs> it doesn't influence anything at all ever in any particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll keep those open, I guess, for another week. By the time we'll uh, maybe I'll close them by a week from today. So May twenty seventh, I'll close the um, voting yeah, on that, that and then reasonable. we can talk, gloat, mourn, cajole. Contest, <laughs> deny, obfuscate, or otherwise um, <laughs> problematize the yeah. results in whichever way we and see fit. And if you want to join in on our next Book Nerd mm. Movie Club, you still have like a week and a half-ish to read Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella and watch Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. That show will come out two Wednesdays from yep. now. What is time? I watched in a it, couple weeks. I watched it over the weekend as I, I texted you. Probably mm-hmm. the er mood vibe pick, yeah. right? Which is the, from <laughs> the is. first five minutes of Costner looking over his shoulder in the cornfield. Mm-hmm. Um, During dusk. It's yeah, perfect. It's really good stuff. Yeah. I'm reading Shoeless Joe right now. It's my first mm. time. And um, Bob has plans on one of the evenings this weekend. And I was like, perfect. Mm. I'm going to just have my fortress of solitude and watch Field of Dreams and do my whole vibe myself. We had a little conversation of like, do you want to watch Field of Dreams with me? Because mm. I do this every year. This time I'm going to be, you know, like taking notes and stuff. And he was like, that that feels kind of like a sacred mm. solo mm-hmm. joint. And I was like, all right, okay. The Eleusinian Mysteries, so, you know, kind of a situation. Are you getting mm-hmm. Brood X there, by the way? Speaking of summertime cricket noises. It- we are supposed okay. to. Yeah, I have not seen any of them in like in my neighborhood yet, but I'm starting to hear stuff yeah. about other folks in and around Richmond and in Virginia getting getting the cicadas. Yeah. It was um I we did the whole thing. Like I don't do it very often where I actually like use the surround sound system, but this you it's got a score and it, like mm-hmm. it was it's very cicada forward the soundtrack to <laughs> Field of Dreams and I was like, are there crickets in my house? Are there locusts and stuff in my house? Right now? <laughs> 
<laughs> Surely someone at like Outside Magazine is doing like the top 10 crickety cicada That's filled true. movie That's, score. This has got to be summer. up there because there's a lot of Dusk and Dawn, you know, Dusk and Dawn, the magic mm-hmm. hour famously for Field of Dreams. And that's if you're from the Midwest at all, or other places that have locusts, cicadas, frogs, all the, the noisemakers of summer show title, um, come out <laughs> when the sun is coming up and going down. And a lot of this mm-hmm. movie takes place in that golden hour. But um, yeah, I've got I've got a lot of notes, got a lot of thoughts, got a lot of notes. I as of yesterday, you could get Shoeless Joe by W. P. Kinsella for ninety nine cents on Kindles on sale, so you could go pick that up. Oh, if nice. You read along there it's not very long i think it started out as a novella actually it's just it's just not very long as you can tell from the movie it's almost a short story like you could do it there's a version of it you yeah. could do in a short story um so it's, yeah it's and i think it started as a short story i'm having I, just before hmm. this call i was down a fun field of dreams internet rabbit hole about the origins of the story and like the original book reviews from 1982 of the book and all sorts of things and i, I think it did start as a short story that then grew into the full no, novel no. all right yeah. so let's do a sponsor break and then we'll make some progress towards Something, but I don't know that we'll make very much. We'll see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Another point of order in terms of episodes that are coming up. I don't know when this is scheduled for. Is this Q2 for the It Book discussion? We were just noodling about this today. Oh, yeah. Do we want to decide? We have, have we to... decided? I think we have All right. decided. Tell, us, tell we'll, people what we've decided. We'll... We are going to read Crying in H Mart. Mm-hmm. I don't have the author's name in front, in front of me. Of me. Uh, but the Book Right Insiders get an option every quarter to part to help us decide or let us know what kind of episode, what kind of content we're going to do for one of our episodes. And they selected a, an It Book discussion. So we have picked for our It Book, Crying in H Mart. And yeah, we'll just discuss that sometime in yep. June. So we'll, we'll keep you posted. It came out April 20th. It's a memoir by Michelle Zahner. I think that's how you say that name. Yes. Um, H Mart, if you don't know it, is a chain of really awesome Korean grocery stores. There's one three blocks from my house. It just opened uh, last year. And it's a memoir of food, of family, of immigration. Um, Zauner, I don't, I think she's the front woman for the band Japanese Breakfast. She's from Portland. Mm. Um, But we like a food memoir. Throw in a little crying. Crying is in the title, Rebecca. (laughs) What are we doing here? I'm just now realizing. Oh, we're going to watch Field of Dreams, and yeah. then we're going to read a memoir with crying in the title. Well, really you know, we survived else. Gilead this year, too. So, yeah, so year. if you want to get so on we're, board. We're okay. We're um, going to be okay. I'm going to find an audio, because as you know, audio is my preferred format mm-hmm. for memoir. Um, 
this sounds like we could we could, could we could we have an hope Jaron experience of actual uh, what they call it um, interstitial no what what they call it where it's like you're listening to you're watching a movie and then you're hearing the soundtrack that's also the the characters are hearing too there's like some phrase for that i can't remember what it is oh. anyway doesn't matter but we could get some real authentic in in line emotion here which i'm looking forward to yeah a lot of plot it's we're not i'm not plucking something out of obscurity here best book of Mm-mm. instant new york times bestseller amazon named it one of their best books of april got mentions all over the place i think this is might be an interesting bookend to J- david chang um in some ways i was thinking us. that also yeah, and I, as much as I love to talk about a novel, and we're you know we're coming off of doing Clara and the mm-hmm. Sun as our most recent one, I feel like we are in a particularly good mode with a I memoir. Think so too. That feels like a good thing to take I apart. Think so too, and it's talking about food. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so here we go. All right, a little front matter before we talk about the survey results. Uh, people really like th- to do this. I think. One thing we've learned running this site for almost 10 years now is that people like to tell you what book they've read. That's They just like to do it, call it narcissism, call it sharing, call it community. Depending on my mood, I'll use any and all of those terms. Um, so I'm not surprised we have a lot of response. I'm surprised by 600. A couple of mm-hmm. notes from readers who then wrote in. from And, and, I, okay. and reasonably so from our international crew. This is a very, uh. almost exclusively an American list and exclusively an English list, which is fair. Um, the only non-American title here is Pride and Prejudice. Everything else is kind of in the, very much in the American high school to college curriculum plus mm-hmm. recentish mainstream reading experiences. Yes, right? and very reflective for good or ill, I think, likely for ill of how U.S. centric most high school and college reading right. lists, and not for nothing, remain. we're Americans. Most right. of our audience is Americans, but I think it's a different list. Of course, if it's uh, you're listening to an Australian podcast and you're Australian, or sure. you know um, you're listening to Malaysia or something else like that, you know, a world literature survey would be an interesting one where you t- you're taking some classics from world literature. And making a similar, I've got ideas for polls here. Now that I've seen that there's um, fish that will bite this hook, I think we got some future content segments mm-hmm. going on here. But other than that, I will say I, I misled you with the early results. I did tell you one early <gasps> result, and do you want to tell the people what I told you? You told me that To Kill a Mockingbird was in the lead, and it did not end up in the lead. Oh, okay. It was close. Well, To Kill a Mockingbird, eighty-seven percent of respondents said they have read To Kill a Mockingbird. Whoa! Which now, now that has to reset your expectations of what we're talking about. I think. Wow. Okay. Because you said sixty-eight percent was your guess, and Mm -hmm. that I thought that was high. I think I came in below that. So now, again, if you haven't read a bunch of these, there's some selection bias in you know in how we do surveys, right? So if you haven't read a bunch, I would guess most people who's like I've read two of these, they probably didn't play along. So people who've read a lot probably were more likely mm-hmm. to respond. But even within that, there's really like kind of three tiers here. So To Kill a Mockingbird's on the top tier, but it is not the number okay. one here. Do you want to guess what eclipsed it by a mere eight votes? So To Kill a Mockingbird had 514. Say People said they read it. That's 87%. The number one spot was 522. So it was close um, at 88.5%. Where would you place your second best guess I, here? I think I put my bets on Pride and Prejudice being most popular. Oh, okay. You were wrong week, for that. So. Then. It was not Pride and Prejudice. 
<laughs> okay, well, if it's not Pride and uh, Prejudice, let me stop there. Pride and Prejudice is number three. Though it was number okay. three, but it dropped all the way down to seventy-one point one percent. That's why I'm saying there's tier. These two, these top okay, two were. Right. You look at the bar graph, and that's like uh, so the Empire State I'm... Building of you know the New York skyline. Like there's other things uh-huh. there, so, but it's the prominent one. All right, so then I'm going with that's the Great right. Five twenty-two. 88.5% of the vote. Wow. I find this okay. to be a pretty so striking result that more people have read Greg Gatsby than To Kill a Mockingbird. I find that pretty surprising, I have to say. So you said it's eight votes? It's only difference? eight. So it's, you know, it's one and a half. But still, I, I really thought To Kill a Mockingbird was far and away. I thought it would be much more well-read. And I would have guessed like you that Pride and Prejudice would have fallen to number two. So we're underestimating Gatsby. Now, is there, is there anything interesting there of our underestimation of Gatsby, Rebecca? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's anything interesting there. No, I think that these tears are meaningful. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have guessed Pride and Prejudice to Kill a Mockingbird and Gatsby would be the top mm-hmm. three. I don't, I'm not convinced that eight votes out of 600 is like a persistent mm-hmm. difference. No, and if we had 50 yeah. more people and maybe right. these are even the more casual respondents does does the most does the most engaged respondents actually tell you something represent <laughs> right. But these are just the people who responded yeah. so we got what we got. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking about how, you know, academics write up research like this and it would be like 600 listeners to a very wonky book mm-hmm. podcast right. <laughs> have read these books and here are the ways in which all these how those people might be different from you know, typical readers. It's I wish that we had also asked did you read this in school mm-hmm. or on your own? Yeah, that's interesting. Um so it's here so that's tier 1, Gatsby and Mockingbird okay. 88ish, 87%ish. Tier 2, as I already said, Pride and Prejudice 71%, 423 votes. Mm-hmm. Number 4 was 417 votes. So another 6 vote difference here. So take that which was mm-hmm. 70.7%. He guesses what the fourth um uh, Huck Finn 1984, George Orwell's okay. 1984. Huck Finn is weird. It kind of is stair-step down. It's at 60%. It is the next most read, but it's the only one in the 60%. Um, okay. It's not decile, I guess is how you would say that. There's a huge grouping around half, around half of respondents saying they've read these mm-hmm. things. Now we're... Do you want to come up from the bottom then, maybe? Maybe the bottom then is more interesting because we've got a, the, the bell curve situation is fairly reasonable here. I'm not sure what to make of this, but the, the least one, the least read one, only 131 people have read this one, 22.2%. Mm-hmm. Any guesses what that would have been? The Vanishing Half, just because it's the that newest. incorrect. The Vanishing oh. Half is 247. 41.9% of people said they read Vanishing Half, huh. which is only well, four great. from the bottom, actually. It's not okay. even the bottom. The bottom is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Oh! Like, what have we been doing here this whole time? <laughs> we told the people to lie to us, Jeff. Maybe this is them lying lie to us. us. Oh, don't tell me that. In all fairness, <laughs> Wait, to people's bad oh. taste. <laughs> I was going to say, now we're going to do a generous reading. <laughs> it is. It wasn't a bestseller. It's not recent. It's not on school lists. It, it's, it's not recent. It's not on school lists. And it's not a classic. So my hindsight is twenty twenty can come up with a story there that it is literary. It's the most literary fiction that's not on syllabi. 
right, of this What list. was the percentage 22. again? 22.2%. Okay. So well, I'd okay. like you all to know that what you've done is a 48-part <laughs> close read of Gilead starting now. Rebecca, let's go. Goodbye to your dreams of Lonesome Dove. I wish I would have included Lonesome Dove. That was another regret that I should have put Lonesome Dove. What it had been above or below Gilead has to be below. I have to believe This is now a Gilead podcast. You know, though, I don't want to let go of the point that you made at the top of this segment that overall the results to this are much higher than we would have anticipated. And I think last week, if you had told me this survey is going to show that 22% of your listeners, mm. or at least of the ones who respond, have read Gilead. I probably would have been delighted because that in that framing of how I was thinking about things last week, where I thought Pride and Prejudice and To Kill a Mockingbird were going to be the most popular and that like two-thirds of people would have read those. Right. For Gilead to come in at like one-third as popular as those two things would have delighted yeah. me. But now I'm just disappointed. It's not that I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just disappointed. disappointed. <laughs> also, I think we might need to kiss whatever dreams of being quote unquote influencers goodbye. <laughs> because what else can we do here? Do I have to do I have We've to only lip been sync talking. the words to like K pop with Gilead Jeff, in my hands on if, TikTok to get people to read this? What if this is the result of our influencing? This is it. If it was zero, I mean, that also. Can't prove a negative. <laughs> right, that also means we should probably Still, kiss even, our influencer <laughs> dreams goodbye. But uh, anyway. Also, so that so that's that was the only thing in the twenty percent, and then so let's jump up to the thirty percent cadre. There's okay. three in the thirty-five to forty-one percent range. Again, another one I was dead wrong on. Their eyes were watching God. Thirty-five point three percent. Oh, okay. Hasn't penetrated. I do people go back and read this if they didn't read it in high school and college was my question. I, I think maybe don't they, think clearly so. they don't. Here's another tough beat yeah. for us, literature writ large, Ooh, beloved, beloved, 38.3%. To, all kidding aside about Gilead. But 40% of readers having read Beloved, that's... But this is a reader's, Rebecca. These are people who listen know, to us talk about this garbage every week. This should... this People, read Beloved. Please do it for me. Please do. Please forget about... No, don't forget about... But Gilead, look, that's more... Again, it's a mainstream book. Don't don't. We're not plucking something out of like University of Nebraska Press from 1968 with Gilead. I want a Pulitzer Prize. Oprah picked the stupid thing. Like, but beloved, this is difficult reading. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what to tell you. Go read Beloved. If we can't convince people who are listening to this kind of bookish podcast that they can handle Beloved and should handle Beloved, then I think More we're More people here. have read The Underground Railroad. This is a shocking result to me. 265, 44.9% of people have read The Underground Railroad and haven't read Beloved. I like Underground Railroad. I think it's a great work. Mm-hmm. You've heard me say we have agreed that The Underground Railroad is probably the signal work by America's greatest living novelist, Colson Whitehead. I'm totally happy with that. That said, it is two notches down beloved as a literary work, especially when you look at the timeline. I don't, I don't think Colson Whitehead wants more people no. to have read The Underground Railroad than to have read Beloved. At this point, maybe on the long tail, we'll see. If I include, is it Song of Solomon more? Is it Paradise more? Because they're not you know, as tough? Here's, I don't know. Here's my pitch. If you read The Underground Railroad, you can hang with the content of Beloved. I don't care if you can. Go read it. 
Rebecca is trying to yeah, get you I something agree. to hold on to. It's tough. It is tough, but come on. I'm not happy about this. You can do better. We can do better. We can do better here together. Uh, the van. If anyone would like to recommend ways we can be better influencers. <laughs> Probably not try to get people to read fiction from 35 years ago. <laughs> Fiction that's known to be difficult, difficult and emotionally Draining. very challenging. Very difficult. Speaking of, I texted you about it. I have started the Underground Railroad Ugh. TV series. And then I went, I watched the first episode. It is wrenching. I mean, it should be right. wrenching. The book this is wrenching. should be wrenching. Yes. The book is wrenching. There's something about seeing it on exactly. screen with real yeah. humans that is a, like just multiplicative in how powerful it is and i finished the first episode and i thought oh i don't know Mm. if i'm gonna be able to do this and then i went and read several reviews where the reviewer said the same thing like i had to take a break after the first Mm. one barry jenkins is on the record of saying he doesn't think they should have released all 10 episodes at once because it's not content Uh that you should marathon so i'm in it i'm just gonna i have decided to follow the advice and like give each episode breathing room and process a lot. And it's 100% in the land of content. I don't think you can reasonably encourage anyone else to watch or recommend that anyone else watch. It's really challenging. And there are 9 million reasons that a person might not want to put that in their eyeballs. But if you have been considering it and you haven't gone down the rabbit hole of pieces about it like I have I guess I would say if you're on the fence and you're leaning towards giving it a shot the first one is very difficult by many accounts it might be the most difficult that makes sense to me knowing the cadence of the book like you know the, mm-hmm. the book starts off with the first time he asked Cora said no or something like that right where they're really yeah, trying to yeah. again there's a little bit of spoiler here just in terms of this is about escaping to the north and some you, you spend some time down south realizing what they're escaping, right? right. Like why they're taking right. the this whole, huge risk in this, this yes, wild journey. And that's exactly the scene that they're yeah. setting in this first episode of what daily life is like on this plantation in Georgia. It is unflinching. I like everyone on this cast and crew and all of the writers like should win all of the. I've awards heard it's nothing short of a signal production respect. of and beautiful and moving and well cast and directed and like from a from yeah, a filmmaking I, point of view and let's let's not call this tv i think we're in the realm of whatever we call filmmaking yes, is what we're doing it's it's gonna feel like watching 10 short films yeah. i'm i'm sure of it having watched the first one and it's very absorbing and then in uh, in moments i would find myself popping out of the story just enough to think oh my god how did they do I this know. like how did they get through it and i remember we talked about some of those moments that were that looked like they would have been really mm-hmm. difficult in Watchmen, and this is just even like next level from that. So, yeah. I if I hadn't read the book, I'd be weirdly I'd be more inclined to experience it because it'd be a way of experience the story in this particular mm-hmm. kind of artistic work. I can see why they didn't just release the first one, knowing that was sort of like the the descent, oh, right? Like you want to give someone, if they're going to go to the next one, you don't want to leave them a week. Are they going to turn on episode two after being like, oh my God, at least you can kind of move through the story towards, you know, up from slavery to quote, you know, the, the, the Booker mm-hmm. T. Washington is kind of the shape of the rest of it. But you need the Golgotha of what they actually are, you know, why they would put mm-hmm. themselves on the line in a, a terrible yeah, way. Yeah, and it's, 
there's, you know, all the trigger warnings for everything that you would assume yeah. for watching it. And I, and if you have difficulty watching kids be harmed, that is on screen very early. So here's a warning for that. Okay, snapping back. So, beloved, anyway. 38.3%. It's not, it's not okay, internet people. It's not okay. <laughs> that more of you have read Little Fire. A little, okay, Little Fire is everywhere right in the middle. Little Fires are educated, actually, 304, 304, Mm 51.15%. I guess on some level it makes sense to me that those are more read than Beloved. I guess it does in some way make sense. Those are commercial fiction, not as demanding. Book clubby. Book club, more recent. Again, Beloved is such tough sledding, like their eyes were watching God, which is not tough sledding, to to be perfectly frank. Um, These are books you pick up for quote-unquote fun, I guess. They're, mm-hmm. you know, people aren't like, what am I going to read next? And like, yeah, now's the time for Beloved. Like, whereas with Little Fire Edu- Everywhere and Educated, it had their moments of late. Um, And Beloved is never going to be a book club book. It, it could be, but it's just when we talk, I'm guessing I'm talking capital B, capital C book yeah. club in, in that estimation. Vanishing Half, 42%. Educated and Little Fire Everywhere, as I said, 51%. Huck Finn, 60, Pride and Prejudice, 71, Underground Round, 44%, and then Becoming, 45.6%. Mm. So, I'm not, I guess, way, the respondents just have read way more of the books than I thought. Yeah. But relative speaking, it's the things on the bottom, the top and the bottom, I was most surprised to see just the penetration. I'm not surprised that Mockingbird, Gatsby, Pride and Prejudice in 84 were the most read. Those are things people enjoy. They're not, I'll put it this way, those are not hard reads. They're classics, but those are not difficult reads. Um, and that matters. That, that really matters. Mm-hmm. And Beloved is a more important work than any book on here, but it's about 10 times more challenging. Yeah. I second all of those emotions. I also, I think it's m- maybe important too that you know, to Kill a Mockingbird is such an enduring yeah. cultural thing and has a movie that people like. And then, there, of course, there was all the hubbub in the last couple of years where more folks went and read To Kill a Mockingbird because of Gossetta Watchmen. Gatsby's got an adaptation. It's like a, just a piece of culture mm-hmm. you have to know. And Pride and Prejudice has that whole adaptation. Austin Industrial Complex. Penumbra. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, any thoughts for us? Please go read Please Beloved. Please read Beloved at some point. And, and that's joking about Gilead. Maybe Beloved's one where okay, give something we could give someone something to hang on to. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here, but mm-hmm. um, I'd be curious. Like, I'd let podcast at bookriot.com. Other kinds of polls like this, you might be interested. Like, there's a world literature poll uh, that I could imagine picking. You know, Garcia Marquez or uh, you know, um, 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 Arrow of God or you know, what are the great world literature things? out there i guess another one would be interesting to do a um which 2021 releases have you read right mm. when we get to the half or maybe at the end of the year like okay here, here, maybe at the end of the year like that, that sounds good um how books we do books that maybe people haven't read but they what if we did the inverse of this which is for the books that you haven't read the most do you think you ever will do you plan on ever reading it because I would guess Beloved mm. would score differently in that regard. Maybe it's number one, but it's just so hard <laughs> um, to get there. But uh, I, I found the results and, yeah. both 
not surprising and surprising simultaneously. Yeah, and probably the way we talk about beloved doesn't help us. Like, and I mean you right. and me and the culture, the way that we well, talk, we're that we the all truth, talk yeah, about that's beloved. A fair point. It's yeah. true. It doesn't help us sell it because even from that perspective, underground railroad is difficult subject matter, but narratively, it's a, yes. the prose is much right. more accessible. Right, right. right, right. Um, so there's the real so thank you but and all, all kidding aside thank you everyone for participating we had a fascinating good time um, we're going to be thinking of other interactive things we can do but until then uh, we're going to take a sponsor break at Evernorth Health Services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Uh, okay. This I'll, I'll, I'll start with my funny kind of thing that I found. I was talking about, e, I went on my e-reader. Mm. I got all my e-reader stands rallied. We're all ready to go. And my one critique was, I wish the damn thing was bigger, the Kindle Oasis. And somewhere over in at Kobo, someone heard the clarion call and have released a 10.3-inch Kobo oh Ellipsa. And the headline on The Verge is brings back supersized e-readers. I had forgotten that the Kindle DX used to exist. Do you remember the Kindle DX at all? Were you ever into the Kindle DX I, life? No, I was not. I mean, I'm a tiny-handed person, yes. so I'm not owning the giant right. e-reader. The Kindle DX was a larger, I think it was nine-inch sort of thing. And so oh, yeah. this is... So 9.7. Yeah, 9.7. This 10.3 is the largest e-ink mass market display I've seen. And I would love, if this was an, am listen, I know, I know, I know, I hear you. I, I, part of me is with you, but not enough. If this was an Amazon device, I'd be sending in my Oasis and getting credit or whatever I have to do to get some of this back. Because this is the format. I, this is the format I want. It's like, it's like a hardback kind of a size, um, but with all the advantages of e-ink. It also comes with a stylus. You can annotate stuff. Also, mm. Kobo, since Kobo and Overdrive are owned by the same company, which is Rakuten. I mean, welcome to Japanese Corporate Structure 101. Um, it has really good overdrive slash Libby slash, you know, library integration for eBooks and audiobooks. But now that I've, I've tasted the forbidden fruit of Edelweiss <laughs> galley integration on my Kindle Oasis, Hello. I cannot go Hello back to bread and salt, man. I'm eating mangoes off the tree of free galleys. I cannot go this as much as I would like to. <laughs> I'm just going to be a little bit bitter that I had to tell you for like five years how convenient it Look, is. Look, I finally read Beloved. What do you want me to say? <laughs> what do you want me to... Here's the thing, but I wasn't reading Front List. I wasn't reading Front I List. I know. You were on Operation No TV. I was on my Operation Try there. to Learn How to Run a Company So We Don't Go Belly Up. That's what Operation I was on. Um, and still, that's that's there. But I have a little more time for front list as well so go check that if any of you buy one of these please tell me do i want people to tell me it's 399 bucks comes with a stylus i mean we're not gonna just find out on our own yeah. so right please do tell us um in the land of galleys you could download mm. i saw yesterday that peter heller has I a new novel coming out in august wow. another heart racing thriller 
about a young man who is hired by an elite fishing lodge in Colorado. I'm just reading this elite. synopsis. What does elite where, fishing lodge even mean? I love it. I'm in. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Amid the natural beauty of sun-drenched streams and forest, he uncovers a plot of shocking menace. Nature and menace? Like, what more do you want? Fly fishing, <laughs> but you might die. Peter Heller. The river was so good. Right. The river so was just good. what, ki- canoeing, canoeing, but you might die. Yeah. I like this, how it's kind of gone the opposite <laughs> way of Andy Weir, which space, but thriller. Let's just do rivers and streams, but thrillers. What can you? <laughs> what kinds of things can happen to you while wearing L.L. Bean is the Peter Heller niche we're looking at now. So many. It is apparently dangerous. exactly yeah. the niche I want I really like in. it, too. It, it's cozy and yet fraught uh, at the same time. All these layers of quilted it's down. It's really good stuff. Um, um, you know, we... Bob and I started listening to the new Andy Weir on a road Uh trip last week. And I think my pitch for it is like, it's a combination of the born identity in space and a cousin of arrival. I read it. I didn't tell Um, you. Did I tell you? I read it. Oh, no, you didn't. I'm saving that for later. But yeah. Um, Okay. The things we said about it before. We're not done with it We're not done. We'll hang on to this. What are we? We're in doing sorts. Giant e-reader. That was my, that's in the agenda. It's just giant (laughs) e-reader in like all bold caps. I know. And I hadn't clicked it, but I was like, okay, there it is. (laughs) It is indeed a giant giant e-reader. That's what it is. It's on the tin. (laughs) I mean, I do, I think just strategically, I think it's smart. I'm a little surprised there's not more variation in the Amazon Kindle line as they're the 900 pound gorilla. Like we've seen, I guess the equivalent would be the, over time, the segmentation we've seen in iPhones, right? I, the iPhone is mm. the signal. It's not the largest by market share, but it's like kind of the Xerox of, of smartphones, right? It's the, the standard. But you can go from the iPhone plus Max thing all the way down to a mini. And there's like six or seven mm-hmm. state, you know, pieces in there. Right now from Amazon, you can get the Kindle and the Paperwhite, which are functionally the same size. I guess the Paperwhite is a little bit better of a screen and maybe a backlight. And then you go to the Oasis and that's it. So there's room for, this is room for like a power e-reader. And if you're going to buy Kobo, you're probably a power e-reader anyway, because you're 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 kind of actively deciding against Amazon at that stage, if you're getting a Kobo Mm -hmm. device. So why not give the people like, you know, the Maybach of of e-readers? Like these are people who are into e-reading. They've made a decision about their lives. They're They're getting off the Amazon life reward them with like this funky low rider of a machine, right? That only like real super fans are going to care about. But I think it's great. I, I would love to see um, more, uh, more choices there, uh, especially. So anyway, uh, where do we want where do we want to go next? There's a lot of other interesting stories this week. I'm not really, yeah, do we stay on Amazon for just a minute or on the tech? Me- sure. Yeah. Tell let's me about do that. that one. All right. Well, so this week, a thing that we've been watching and I think hoping yes. for for a long time has happened. The Digital Public Library of America is, um, they have signed an agreement with Amazon Publishing that will make all of Amazon's about 10,000 Amazon Publishing ebooks and audiobooks, which have been exclusive to Amazon and not available to libraries. Now they will be available to libraries and their patrons. Um, and the DPLA is the only nonprofit library centered content marketplace. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge win there's some more details about like how the licensing is there's four different licensing models that amazon is doing with the dpla and we might be the only two people in the world who care about any of those any of those details but the broader piece that amazon 
produces exclusive content and that folks who don't access Amazon or can't access Amazon for whatever reason have not been able to access that content using their libraries has been a real issue for a long time um, and something that we've wanted to see addressed. So it's very cool to see that. And and over time, especially as Amazon grows their publishing and um, does exclusive audiobook deals, even with authors whose books come out from some of the big five publishers, that content being accessible to folks who aren't buying in the Amazon ecosystem, but are accessing their libraries is important just for baseline access and equity reasons. Um, So I'm really happy to see it happen. I would have loved to be like a fly on the Mm -hmm. wall in probably some very boring conversations (laughs) about this, but I would love to know how they got this done and what got Amazon to say yes. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I'm I'm surprised it's taken this long. I feel like mm. this is one of those situations where, well, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe more of the levy breaking than I would think. I'm glad to see it. There's a lot more work still to be done here, but this is this yeah. is good news. I think there's no way to say okay, could it end more? What about Audible? You know, there's a whole bunch of other ways we could go with this, but I think this is good news. I think this is good for libraries. It brings. It, it, it enters Amazon's publishing into sort of the main of how we think about publishing in libraries. We've, this is what we said before, right? That this is mm-hmm. you know, this is something we kind of is table stakes for. We expect publishers who do book related work to doing. I don't know if you want to call it a tax or whatever, but like that you have some involvement in um, the library ecosystem. So I think that's good. I'm, yeah. I'm anxious for yeah. more uh, down the and road. I, I also think. I would have believed it if this had never happened. You know, like I there was yeah. a, I was willing to believe that Amazon would never have agreed yeah. to it. It wouldn't be surprising no. with how Amazon rolls. So from that side, there's much more yeah that I think we would like to see done and this is not something that I assumed we would ever see. No, I I, I guess I didn't assume it. Um I think the other way you can look at this too is now that we, you know, Congress is interested in big tech in a way they haven't been for a mm-hmm. while. And it's not just because people are getting banned off Twitter for being racist or, you know, inciting violence. Hashtag 2020. Um, <laughs> it's that there's more there's there is more scrutiny from both on both sides of the aisle about the power of big tech and big tech companies. Amazon is one of the largest companies in the world. They're the most important company in the world of books and reading. Not the most important publisher, but they're the most important company. If you are strategic about kind of laying the groundwork for future antitrust litigation, you cannot walk into Congress and say, we haven't made our books available in libraries ever. You can't right. do it. That's true. So there's a strategic piece to it that maybe some bare minimum ticks a box that they can walk in. Because if they're, you know, 80% of the dollars spent on books in America are flowing through Amazon, plus they can't go to the libraries, which we consider a public good. Like I've done, and we've talked about mm-hmm. them. Nothing has a higher Q rating than libraries. Um, you cannot be the 900 pound gorilla and not share and not let people draw water from the well when it comes to libraries. I don't think that would be a tenable position. So the cynical slash realist part of me is this is mm. to not be able to walk into, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren saying, and why exactly haven't you made stuff available? Like no one wants, no, no one's going to come yeah, out looking that's, good there. I mean, I think if you're taking the cynical reading with Amazon, you're not, Strategic, cynical, you know, could be, when I'm serious, like (laughs) what cynical is one person strategic is another person cynical in that particular way. Mm -hmm. The net effect is improvement for library access. I don't assume it's from the goodness of their hearts. (laughs) No. Why? 
I mean, we've seen all publishers right. think about, do we really want to do this with libraries? We saw Macmillan, they're thinking about, is there some way we can have a middle or corner, mm-hmm. or, you know, can we still get the kudos and the everyone loves books, follow us on Instagram, books are grand, Neil Gaiman quote here, and also not give it to libraries? The answer is no. I think the answer is no. I think that's just not going to fly. Um, yeah. And Amazon was the one that, because they built out their publishing arm online first, there was a bit of a... Rebecca broke my heart by telling me frog boiling is not actually a natural effect. I still believe that there's like an endowment effect kind of thing that happens to us where we just get used to something, right? So I'm going to use frog boiling. I don't, don't at me, whatever. We can go ask Adam Grant about whatever. It was Adam Grant that made this terrible re- revelation that I wish it I could was. It's in, it's in Think yeah, Again. Which I will yeah. read at some point. But having said all that, that Amazon and started slow and a lot of their stuff was digital first and ebook lending and libraries wasn't awesome at the beginning, gave them sort of cover to people just get used to Amazon stuff not being there. The other thing I think is true too is Amazon ain't got the hits, right? I mean, we, this, that's also mm-hmm. given them some degree of cover is, and I don't know if there's like a chicken and the egg thing there. Like if they were, if they had more available in, in bookstores and libraries, would they have had more hits? Because, like, what's the most famous Amazon book now? Like, that's Marcus Seiki kind of stuff? I don't even know. Oh, yeah, which is years, years ago. ago like, I, don't, I mean, I know they sell books and they get Kindle Unlimited or whatever. But in terms of mind share, I can't name an Amazon book that I've read. Mm-mm. You know? There was a, remember the Penny Marshall memoir was supposed to be a big deal? Pfft, nothing. Right. Um, oh, you know what? An Amazon book that we've both read was The Good Job Strategy. Wasn't that, was that published an Amazon by Amazon? Book? I, I I think so. I thought that was Harvard Business Review. We can look it up. But that we're fishing like this is, this is the story, right? You know, (laughs) that we we can maybe pick out one. So I don't know, like, if you're publishing, did you, if you're publishers, do you want Amazon in the libraries competing with your stuff on the shelf? I wonder about that. No one asked publishing if they want Amazon in libraries. Not that we care. It's, the good job strategy was New Harvest. It's Amazon. Amazon. Okay, there you go. Um, Which is a really interesting book. Highly recommend good job strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't have much else there. So I guess if if I had to bet $100 on Amazon ever or not having their stuff available, I mean, Infinity is a long timeline. Let's say in the next 10 years, is that a fair enough? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I probably would have put my money on Amazon having to do something with libraries. Just looking at the ways public pressure, political pressure, legal pressure, those things together probably add up to a 51% chance of it happening if I think yeah. about it that way. Yeah, I think I... I would have gone that direction, but I think it I, it wouldn't have been like oh ninety oh, ten. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, sure yeah, yeah, that they're yeah, going to yeah. go. I, I still would have really believed right. that it might not have ever happened. Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah I would have taken it, given the right odds. I would have placed a bet on it never happening in that ten or not happening in a ten year window. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I agree sure. Or given a different administration, a different political mm-hmm. climate. Um, yeah. Speaking of political climates, um, Constance Grady Whoa. coming through with a really good piece in Vox that the top half is more of a timeline of Pence backward a little mm-hmm. bit. And then there's a, the back half of the story was new stuff to me. Was it new to you about Christine Ball and Linda Fairstein and all this stuff that happened in Dutton? Or had you heard any of that? We, I, I don't think we had covered it on I the show. I had heard, I don't, we didn't cover it on the show. I remember when it happened with Linda Fairstein and Dutton and pulling Fairstein's mm-hmm. book because of new coverage around the Central Park Five. Um, 
but it didn't get a lot of attention. Yeah. I mean, it was also happening in the middle of 2019 when the political climate was bonkers and a ton of other things were happening, but we weren't really having mm. this like quote unquote cancel culture conversation. And I say that with a lot of scare quotes right. around it um, in publishing. So I, but most of the details were new mm-hmm. to me there. I think the pieces like, I mean, it's Constance Grady for Vox, yes, so yes. Like, the the work Very is good. is going to be good. good. Um, but there's, it's if you've been wanting big picture yeah. context and the sort of backstory of how we arrived at this moment in publishing, you're not going to do better mm-hmm. than this, I don't think. And it's not really an opinion piece; it's really more saying like these are the tensions: as young versus old, mm-hmm. um, yeah. younger people saying, "Why don't they see this?" We interestingly not just that we have a moral objection, but a publicity problem. Like, let us help. Mm-hmm. Let us help you help us not, you know, roll around in feces when this stuff comes out. Right. Um, and some stuff about, you know, trying to hire more people and not getting any more BIPOC authors, LBGQ, and some other stuff. Read mm-hmm. the piece. I don't know. I'm not sure there's much else we can say about it. But it is a good overview of several pieces we've known, some other context. And there is, like we've suggested, like I've suggested, at least I won't speak Rebecca here, a intuition and intuition codified by also talking and knowing people in publishing mm-hmm. that their rank and file middle management down to junior has a different much like we talked about in fact can i do a little birdie mm-hmm. thing for a minute yeah um, please i Love how a birdie. to say this i was talking to a little birdie who works in publishing and someone they work with listens to this show so if you're out there you don't know who i'm okay. talking about you but anyway and <laughs> reaffirmed that the way we talk about this stuff is more like what the rank and file people in most publishing houses talk about, which mm. is not a surprise. I, I mean, no, I, I guess I'd be surprised if they were radically more radical. I mean, we're, mm. we're leftists. We're not progressives. Like, you know, that's, that's, I'm speaking again for you here in that regard. Yeah. Um, but I'd also be surprised if they were much more to the right than us, frankly, knowing these are educated people in New York city working in the arts media, like Historically, that's been a left-wing. So it's not surprising. The difference is that the business-level decisions in terms of titles, this conversation has moved around sort of a general ACLU definition of publishing and distribution of messaging to a, this is, this. if reading and publishing is political, then the kind of things you publish is has political weight. And it's kind of, it seems like it should be obvious, but it hasn't been obvious for a long time that that's how people are thinking about it. So it's happening. It's going to continue to happen. I think to go back to our Amazon story before my most sort of the, the most, my average expected return is that we will indeed see fewer books by mm-hmm. conservative of a kind of, of a kind conservative people coming out from big five publishers. I would also expect there then to be, if I'm Fox News, I, again, I don't want to do this. But if I'm one of those, I open up my own publishing house. I just do. I take my Bill yeah. O'Reilly's and I take my Josh Hawley's and I give a middle finger to the pinko communists like us saying this is bad and there's a business there mm-hmm. and people are going to buy it because we saw who gets elected. I don't want that to be the half. But if you're Simon and & Schuster and PRH, are you going to try to compete with them on that stuff? Or does that give you some liberty to just sort of let it go? I don't know. Maybe maybe it makes it easier to say mm-hmm. there's, you know, those people, that's what they do. That's not what we do. Um, but anyway, Constance Grady, nice piece. Fox. Yeah. Uh, she's a good follow. If you, I don't do Twitter very often, but 
sometimes I go and she's one of the people I look for. And I, I subscribe to Vox through my RSS reader and I always read her bylines. And she was on with us for uh, uh, annotated mm-hmm. for the the, hood, the hacking of the New York Times bestseller list. So you've heard her before yes. uh, on the show. Yeah, really she's good. wonderful. Okay, Rebecca, uh, lady's choice for our next uh, story ah. here. Well, you know, I just want to toss out a recommendation for a link that we'll put in the show notes, but just something that I read this week that brought the kind of nuance that I want to see to the conversation about what are we doing when we take, Mm. you know, racist books out of our libraries or off of our shelves. And um, so it's a piece in the Washington Post by Valerie Strauss called Breaking Up with Your Favorite Racist Childhood Classics. And it provides, you know, she... It provides, I think, a lot of context. She uh, is also talking in detail here with Philip Nell, who wrote some of the big pieces about Dr. Seuss being racist, about how to think about what you're doing when you're, you can both love this book and also recognize that in new framework and under today's way of thinking about a thing, it is not acceptable or it's become problematic. And she introduced a phrase that I hadn't heard before called reflective nostalgia, which I thought was just a nice way to explore it and talks about the value in letting go of these things, you know, not trying to separate the art from the artist, but looking at the whole complicated picture as this thing is no longer like in line with my values because my values have changed. I have grown and our culture has grown and that having to have this conversation or this internal struggle is a sign of progress and a good thing, Um, but just gives it some really beautiful, um, Philip Nell especially gives it some really beautiful, I think, and helpful language that removes, like if you've been dealing with anybody in your life who's talking about cancel culture and why are they canceling Dr. Seuss or whoever, I think there is some... um, not softer, but maybe some less incendiary language in this that might lead to actually having productive mm-hmm. conversations about what we're trying to do here. Um, and I do think that there are folks along the political spectrum who are lit up by the idea of cancel, but that are also potentially open to thinking about, you know, we want to update our priors mm-hmm. accordingly. And it's not being presented to them that way, especially if they're really just covered in right-wing media. Um, So I found it to be really grounding and helpful. And I think um, that there's a lot of, just a lot of good thinking going on there. So we'll leave the the link in the show notes for you to check out. Um, Let's do one more sponsor and then kind of a couple fun things here at the the end. Um, You know, this piece makes the point that I hadn't thought about in a while, that the era of the literary feud had seemed to be dormant. (laughs) Weirdly, mm-hmm. because of social media, you'd think there'd be a lot more opportunity for distance face slapping as these things go. Now, people get mm-hmm. in fights and stuff, but we don't have the kind of feuds historically. And there, at the top of this, this is a, a piece about a Lionel Shriver and Cynthia Ozick. Um, and just for the record, I'm team Ozick till I die. I love Cynthia Ozick. And, and, yeah, one hundred In Lionel Shriver, yeah. again, I'd be on most sides against Lionel Shriver. That's Cynthia Ozick. It makes it super easy for me. Yeah. Piece by Alison Flood in The Guardian. The, the history of the literary feud is so colorful and also feels not super fraught. Like it feels like mannered feuds. Like this is, mm-hmm. but I think there's pieces of this that are kind of gross and also not unseemly for everyone involved. But right now, all I want in the world is like an Aaron Sorkin play about the feud between <laughs> Tom Wolfe, John Updike, Norman Mailer, yes. and John Irving. 
Can I get that? Which I did not know about until yesterday, but you know I clicked yes. on that link with a Please click. Please read that. And then, you know, Norman Mailer, and as you might Norman Mailer basically feuded with the world show title. Um, <laughs> Richard Ford shot a book by Alison Hoffman and mailed it to her, which frankly is borderline. Like maybe well, the FBI should open a file on that, but... Uh, yeah. When he spat, Richard Ford spat at Colson Whitehead. That has a racial valence he, that is not funny. That that over the no. line to spit large, but like that it's old Colson Whitehead and that is not okay. It's really yeah. extra. Yeah. But the the germ of the idea or the germ that give Flood the reason to sort of talk about some of these things with Cynthia Ozick, Lionel Shriver wrote a bad review of her. How many people read Lionel Shriver's review of Cynthia Ozick? Like, it's like three subscribers to the New York Review of Books. Like, this now we're talking about stuff we don't care about, and we just were berating people for not beloved. So we're like, there's sort of an order of magnitude thing going on here. But having said that, then Cynthia Ozick responded by writing doggerel poem response, which is kind of great and kind of the winking. Not taking it too seriously, but also not taking a laying down response that I'm looking for here, I have to say. I, I mean, it's great. Oh, look, the writer's so old. Reviewer of year 64. In the quiet of her nook, the writer is shook and roars in her wrath. Anathema. For the blow Shriver's given, may she never be shriven. Uh, pretty funny. Yeah. I think it is the exact right way to respond to Lionel Shriver in a like I see you and I'm I refuse to take this seriously <laughs> also the Marie Sendak <laughs> Salman Rushdie beef who would have guessed it's yeah. like Mad Libs <laughs> that is like Mad Libs that the two of them would have any kind of interaction yes. much less a beef. and I cannot say <laughs> the words that Marie Sendak nope. said about Salman Rushdie <laughs> Nor can I say what Rory Sindek said he did to Rushdie. <laughs> I mean, real guts yes. to describe anyone, but especially Salman Rushdie yeah. this way. Who's got his own baggage, let's say, at this point, I think we know, but also a super important writer in, in his own way. So a little lighter note. And then the lightest of all notes that makes me happy. Yes. Maybe... Maybe the only thing with a higher Q rating among book nerds of a certain ilk than the library is the <laughs> Pizza Hut Book It program, mm -hmm. summer reading program for its second year back from the dead. We talked about this last year. They brought it back. Um, kids, it really flourished in the 80s and 90s, as you might say. Virtual camp, kids ages 4 to 12, June through August. You can roll your kids, reading progress, get some pizza. I must have signed up for this because I got a promo email with a link where you oh, could really? buy the vintage original Book It sticker <gasps> shirt. And I almost did it. I think I might buy I one was of these. Just, I was just looking at the the logo for this year. It has a like, southwestern feel with a cactus yeah. on it. And I was literally about to say, how do I get but this do you Scroll down. But scroll now, down. Do you see the original, I'm just the original McChicken sandwich version of it there? Oh, Jeff, I think, I, I think we it's have It's 10 to. bucks. <laughs> oh. Mm -hmm. um anyway so again one of the great reading programs i think especially last summer i think was especially i think it was an auspicious time but also unfortunately got lost in you know pandemic mm -hmm. world ending stuff but maybe this summer is a time where people more people come back to it um and do a reading program too i mean i don't know 
I'm kind of one of the people, a kid that they just lost money on. I was going to, I mean, whatever. They, they want people to read. But, like, I was going to read the 49 books or whatever and get my pizza. Anyway. My, oh, my yeah. kid's favorite pizza is Pizza Hut. We have wonderful pizza here in Portland. Michelle and I often will get, you know, no free ads. But Pizza Shoals here, Pizza Jerk. There's a lot of, you know, especially in pandemic time, you call in, you go pick it up. You don't have to wait in line for two hours like you used to. Friday nights, we got in this habit of getting Pizza Shoals, which is just wonderful, wonderful pizza. And I asked them, okay, Robert, it's pizza night. What do you guys want? Every time it's Pizza Hut. And that's my fault because it's super nostalgic for me. And so we get it just enough and the kids like it. So we're definitely going to be doing Book It um, for the summer reading program. I think that's our show, Rebecca. I love that. I mean, I have to go buy a T-shirt now, so we have to hang up. It's just free ads for them, right? I'm paying them to wear an advertisement for Book It. But it, in all fairness, it doesn't say Pizza Hut. It says book it. It doesn't. It just says book it. I feel like, well, the, neither of us is a person who has a whole lot of literary t-shirts. No, not, not strong. And not strong. Yeah, we're not. I'm not rolling through the world wanting strangers to be like, oh, you yeah, like books? I like right. books. Like, I got to think about books for 40 hours a week, and that's enough. I do get compliments weeks. on my outer print shirt that looks like a stamped library card. I do have one of those, mm, and yes. people often stop me to say, oh, I like that. But. I am willing to have nostalgic conversations with strangers about Book It. You know what I didn't realize about the Book It logo is that reading and rainbows were having a real moment in the 80s. Because this is a rainbow mm-hmm. thing here. Is, is LeVar Burton, oh, wait, was that public radio station going to sue him for having a rainbow on here? Oh, I don't oh, know. Oh, can we do one more five-minute sort of a segment? Because this was back a couple of weeks ago, and we skipped over because we didn't have time, LeVar Burton's book club. Mm-hmm. But also Roxane oh, Gay and yeah. Jasmine Ward's book club and stuff. Yes. The celebrity, the monetization of the celebrity book club is here, Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here to, I'm declaring Mm -hmm. it here. Now, Literati is a platform for book clubs that they run, and they got a bunch of VC money. They have a bunch of cash. They spend a bunch of advertising. I see whenever I infrequently log on to Instagram and Facebook, they must know that I'm a book nerd person by following Random House or whatever. And I get incessant ads for them. But Jasmine Ward and Roxanne Gay are doing book clubs through Literati. And I think LeVar Burton's is too for kids books. Interesting. Do we think this is going, what is the business model? Like, how does this work? Are there birdies out here that can tell me? What do you have to give Steph Curry, who makes $40 million? I guess I understand Roxanne Gay and Jason Ward. They're working writers. We've talked about mid-list. There's you, $1,000 a month might make a difference to them. I'm, not, I'm just guessing, right? Like $1,000, $2,000 a month that could help them put their lives together in a particular way. I don't know. Steph Curry, does he do it just because he wants to? What is literary? Do they give him money? Like, why is he doing it? I'm super interested in this. Do you have any thoughts, theories, or feelings about how this must be working? I assume, I'm assuming that anybody, especially at Steph Curry's level, is doing this because they like books and they're getting paid. Right. And what's the experience? I hope that like, you sign, I, I signed up for yeah, Steph Curry's cook. I get the book, I pay the thing, and then... I listened to a Zoom live thing with Steph Curry talking. Like, what yeah. is it? I I don't know. Oh. I'm curious. Yeah. Or is it just that you got the curation? It's that just that appeal of the curation of reading the thing that Steph Curry yeah. or Roxanne Gay recommend. Yeah. Um, and I wonder too, if you, in the because there's yeah. one thing about like the celebrity Oprah Reese sort of our incredulity that Reese doesn't have an imprint. You mentioned, and I think it was a really good point, that some of the luster goes away if you know the person is taking with both hands, right? They're recommending and they're getting 40% Mm -hmm. of the cover price or something like that. Right. Does that affect all people's willingness to do this? I mean, literary and their investors seem to think there's a business here. That doesn't mean that there is. But like people don't 
do they equate Steph Curry's book club with some of my dollars are going to Steph Curry? I don't know. I wonder how they think about or, that. Like, I would assume that if Roxane Gay wanted an imprint, she could have had one yesterday, you know, that... Do imprints matter? Must... See, this is a great question. Well, I mean, I think they don't. I think that's, that's why. why. You, that's why, you, like, readers don't pay attention right. to imprints. And publishing houses have not done a good job marketing individual imprints no. unless that imprint is Penguin Classics in a way that is compelling for average yeah. readers. And like sometimes when we talk about this, people are like, oh, but what about, about HarperCollins paperbacks? Yeah, and, yeah, 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 right. right. It's like, yeah, for people who listen to this show, 85% mm -hmm. of whom have read To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> like that's, it's, that's a different land. But I think most readers just don't either don't know what an imprint is. If they did know, they don't care. And even a celebrity's name on the spine of the book doesn't matter in the same way that the celebrity person curating the thing seems to be powerful. And maybe it is just that it's the power of re I am recommending this to you seems more genuine on the recipients end than I am trying to sell yeah. this to you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, literary, I'd, I'd be curious to know. I, I've looked for like a long profile piece that has any metrics or benchmarks or anything in there. But how many people are signing up? for? I mean, Jasmine Ward is kind of exactly the most interesting case to me because she's not mm -hmm. as online as Roxanne Gay, right? She has won major awards. I mean, if we're drafting a list of like 10 writers that we write our names on slips of paper, we bear it in a jar and we dig it up in a hundred years and say, who do people remember? Right. I mean, Jasmine Ward right. is someone we at least consider putting mm -hmm. in there that's alive right now, right? So yeah. it's kind of an edge case to me in that literati, I'd love to know, is it experimental? What's their contract like? Do they have a guaranteed minimum? So on and so forth. Is it like Substack where like for some people there's not a minimum, but some people are recruiting? I, I think the whole thing is super interesting. Speaking of super interesting things, the other five minute thing that I promised was only one thing is last week we talked about NFTs in books and maybe there's some, you know, yeah. um, Little Birdie. I was talking, I had a conversation with someone who asked me directly about NFTs and publishing and what I thought in the publishing industry. Hmm. And I basically told them the spiel and what I thought. And I said, you know, honestly, it could be interesting. I think the, we got some feedback that people like NFTs are bad because of all the carbon it takes. I think that's exactly right. I think these proof of work style, which requires all these computing power, carbon emission, people doing computers, whatever, that's not going to work. But there's some proof of authority stuff. There's a proof of ownership stuff that's also blockchain related. Doesn't anyway? Does, NF, blockchain is a particular way of thinking about it. But NFTs, basically non fungible tokens, scarce digital goods. However you want to think it, I think there's something there. My point was, and this is something going back to what you and I've said, is I don't know why there aren't limited editions of books. They're signed editions. Mm -hmm. Why isn't there one of 200 that has an alternate dust jacket that you just print at Kinko's at Random House <laughs> for the new Toni Morrison Library of America thing, one of 500? Yeah. I would pay $75 for that. Why aren't we doing this? It's apparently all you need since no one's reading Beloved. That, that's fair. Well, and, and that also connects to the other conversation we're having about how People don't think ebooks are cool. Why do people who care book, about books going to think NFTs are cool? You know what we have for NFTs for books? They're called signed first collector's editions. We have rare yep. books already. I just don't know how NFTs get us anything we don't already have because we have collectible books. Entire industries. Yeah, of and you them. know, the Powell's Indispensable yes. Great example. is the closest, closest thing that I've heard of to limited like a collector's edition and those are usually just special slip mm -hmm. cases for hardcovers which i mean if that's your jam okay cool but like a 
this is one of 500 in hardcover with a different design yeah. than all than the regular ones are going to be of the new Toni Morrison I would or whoever mm-hmm. you know I would absolutely pay a premium for and maybe the production costs are too high or well subterranean press well, does this with some science fiction but, fantasy stuff let's take a 40 dollar like really true, beautiful hardcover right. and sometimes mm-hmm. it comes out in another edition it doesn't times done and they're really capitalizing on the people not a lot of people are going to buy this but the people who are are going to pay will pay more than 27.99 yeah. and you know like honestly this is the kind of thing that they could even do for for somebody like dan brown yeah. like where most of the folks who are going to buy like these huge popular authors but most people are going to buy those books like in the long mm-hmm. tail you and i might be the only people historically who were like it's new dan brown day <laughs> <laughs> at our little local Barnes and Noble buying the new books. We can talk about it on the podcast right. on day right. one. But like, that's even the kind of like that is a kind of collector's edition that I think would be fun yeah. to have. It would have a different kind of meaning than having had a, a fancy Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. But that is something that I wonder why publishers don't do it more and I, maybe the distribution of that is challenging who gets it? because they, i mean who right who gets it? it do you is it is it exclusive to uh, amazon do you divide them up between amazon and other retailers in the same percentage like the same proportions that they get the regular copies and then if that's the case how do you market yeah. them you're boned if you're trying to sell them directly from the penguin random house website because nobody's shopping well there. that's what i would do actually because that would be a reason for someone to buy from you I, I would think of it yes, that but, then, way. but how are you going to, how are those readers going to find out that thing exists in the first place? We happen to know that Penguin Random House has 10 million email addresses. You don't, if you have 500 of uh, the new Colson Whitehead, say there's, there's a, there's a collector's edition, limited edition, signed limited edition, like an Ansel Adams poster, mm-hmm. like I talked about before, that's numbered and stamped and, you know, pixie dust on it, whatever that pixie dust is. They can find 500 people to buy that. That's true. Now, the other question is, is it worth it to them? 500 books for the world's largest trade publisher? That's why I'm like, NFTs, what are you selling that's going to make a difference to your bottom line that you shouldn't just invest in selling it to as many people as you can? I mean, I, 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 I don't know. And how do you split royalties with the authors? Like, I, there's a whole bunch of int- I think there's a whole bunch of interesting questions there. I think the other way you could go about doing it is what we're seeing now happen in the digital book event space is that you know, certain you uh, our friend Josh, who did, did Jada or Nigella or who had had the, the did, Oh no, they had they had Erin French, oh, French for her new memoir, and she was in conversation with um, Ina Garten. Right. I'm sorry. Am I speaking? Is this not for public? But they 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 got to host <laughs> that thing, and they did the pre sales of the book as part of the ticketing, right? Yes. And that went well. Yeah, and it was a really and that went well. Yeah, it was a very popular. I event. think you could do something like this. Give it give it that you could do your we support independent bookstores thing by saying you know what. All of Colson Whitehead's limited editions are going to be sold through this bookstore. If you want it, go there mm-hmm. and buy it from them. And you can spread the wealth. You've got enough books. They can move around bookstores. You can have people sign up. You know, you can have, you know, if Loyalty Bookstore, um, our friend, you know, former book writer, Hannah, Hannah has the Whitehead and then someone in Indiana has something else, someone in Oakland has something else. You could spread the wealth around, and you just need those super fans to know they're on social media, whatever. I, I think you could do it. The question is, does it mean one lit crap of difference to your bottom line? And my answer is probably no, and I feel the same way about NFTs. Because if the, if the thing there is scarcity, you can't do that many, and you're a multi-billion right. dollar corporation. Like the people getting NFTs are like independent artists where like 25 grand or 15 million is like, I don't even know, digital artists, it's completely out of my game. But they're not trying to affect the quarterly results for Bertelsmann. Like Penguin Random Houses. So right. I, don't, I don't really know. Um, 
I think there's yeah. opportunity there, but it's so small that like, you know, it's like they say, it's, it's not worth it for Bezos to um, bend over and pick up a $20 bill. For you and I, it is. But for Bezos, it's like, I, I got to make me way to the helicopter that's cost $5,000 an hour. Um, <laughs> all right. So two yeah. tangents, you know, follow up tangents at the two, end. Well, I have then a belated hero oh, of let's the do week it. that that triggered me to think about. So a couple weeks ago when it was Independent Bookstore Day, I was scrolling through my Instagram and I saw that Hanif Abdurraqib, who lives in Columbus, Ohio, mm. had posted that he had bought out the stock or paid for the stock of his books at a handful of local bookstores. So if you lived in Columbus and you wanted to read one of That's his books, awesome. you could go to any of those bookstores and pick up one of his books. His new collection of essays called A Little Devil in America is one of them. It's excellent. So you could have gone in there and picked that up and he was like, and if you're able to, please support the bookstore by buying a different book awesome. while you're in there. And I thought that was like, if you're a writer who has the, the funds to do it and access to local indies to do it, that was such a cool and smart way to support the indie bookstores and, you know, get your book into the hands mm. of people and also get some people out into independent bookstores. I thought it was really creative and I meant to mention it a couple weeks right. back. So read his book, people, Sounds please. Good. All right, Rebecca, that's our show. You can email us, podcast at bookriot.com. You can go to bookriot.com slash listen to find the links to the show notes for this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast. You can also continue to vote for either my basket or Rebecca's basket. Um, <laughs> you say so hesitatingly. <laughs> no, that's just a, My basket or inter- did somebody else? lag there. Uh, somebody else you make can a vote basket for Teresa's basket know. if you'd like um, <laughs> on there. And then I'm going to keep that open for another, at least another week. Hey, for those of you who don't know, most of our, most of the downloads for most podcasts happen within the first two weeks. So I'll leave it open for two weeks and that'll give us a general sense. Unless I'm down by one, then I'll keep it open. For Let's a say, day. are you going to strategically close it? No, I'm, gonna, I'm closing it a week from today. May, Thursday, May 27th <laughs> is where I'm going to close it. And then we will reveal... <laughs> Um, there and then, so yeah, we've got Field of Dreams, Crying in H Mart, and then sometime in June, I'm not looking at the calendar right now. We will be doing our favorite new releases of 2021. I've got I've got three of my. Do, have we decide how many we're picking? We do five each. What we, do we need to do? Five ish. I need to go back and look at my list. I think I've see. got three locks already. I think I've got okay. three locks, and with some more reading to do, a few more I want to get under my belt. Um, anyway, Rebecca, thank you so much as always. Talk to you later. Yep, have a good one.